0: Now archaeologists have just unearthed an ancient papyrus uh, which I need to share with you. It appears to be a missing chapter from the book of Genesis. After Adam and Eve had been evicted from Eden they complained to God Lord when we were in the garden you walked with us every day. Now we don't see you anymore. We are lonely and we forget how much you love us. And God said, No problem, I will create a companion for you that will be with you forever, and who will be a reflection of my love for you. Regardless of how selfish and unlovable you are, this new companion will accept you and will love you as I do. And God created a new animal to be a companion for Adam and Eve, and it was a good animal, and God was pleased. And the new animal was pleased, and she wagged her tail. (laughs) And Adam said, but Lord, what shall we name it? We have already named all the animals, and all the good names are taken. And God said, no problem. Because this new animal is a reflection of my love for you, her name will be a reflection of my name, and you will call her Dog. (laughs) And Dog lived with Adam and Eve, and was a companion to them, and loved them. And Adam and Eve were comforted, and God was pleased, and Dog was pleased, and wagged her tail. After a while, it came to pass that Adam and Eve's guardian angel grew concerned and reported to God, Lord, Adam and Eve have become filled with pride. They strut and preen like peacocks and they believe they are worthy of adoration. Dog has indeed taught them that they are loved, but no one has taught them humility. And the Lord said, No problem. I will create for them a companion who will be with them forever and who will see them as they truly are. This companion will remind them of their limitations so they will know that they are not worthy of adoration. And God created Cat to be a companion to Adam and Eve. And Cat would not obey them or respect them. And when they gazed into Cat's eyes, they were reminded that they were not supreme beings. And Adam and Eve learned humility. And God was pleased. And Cat couldn't care less. (laughs) That's the problem with Cat's. They think they own the place. The problem with humans, they think they own the place. And the problem with clergy, well, they think they own the place. The priests Jesus encountered certainly believed that. But rather than inflicting on them a swarm of cats to show them the bitter truth, he told them a story. We read it in the Gospel lesson just now. It's a story about a landowner, a good landowner, a giving landowner, a landowner who respects his land and loves his people. He has a vineyard, a beautiful vineyard, a bountiful vineyard, a vineyard so large and so fruitful that the owner lets it out to tenant farmers. These are diligent tenant farmers, conscientious tenant farmers, tenant farmers who are so invested in the arduous work of cultivating their crop that they forget that they are just tenants and like a clouder of cats, yes that's the collective noun for cats, they begin to believe that they own the place. The good landowner, the giving landowner, the landowner who respects his land and loves his people, allows the tenants to keep most of the crops, and they sell the grapes and make a steady living. He loves the tenants and the vineyards. He builds a wall with watchtowers so the tenants will be safe and the vines will be snug. But however diligent and conscientious the tenants are, They are still tenants and they owe rent to the landowner, the giving landowner, the landowner who respects his land and loves his people. And here's where the story turns grim. Because when the owner sends his agent to collect the rent, the tenants go feline on him and act like they own the place. They beat him up and send him away empty-handed. So the good landowner, the giving landowner, the landowner who respects his land and loves his people, sends another rent collector, and this time the tenants don't just attack him, they kill him. The landowner sends a third agent, and he is murdered in the same way as the second. And so the landowner, the good landowner, The giving landowner, the landowner who respects his land and loves his people, sends his only son. Surely, surely, however badly they have behaved so far, they must respect his flesh and blood. And the outcome, the shocking, chilling outcome, they murder his child. Now this is a compelling story, a good landowner, a giving landowner, a landowner who respects his land and loves his people, a landowner who ends this parable with a big, loving, passionate but broken heart. Diligent tenant farmers, conscientious tenant farmers, tenant farmers who are so invested in the arduous work of cultivating their crop that they forget that they are just tenants and begin to believe like they own the place. Like all good storytellers, Jesus doesn't tear the mask off the landowner and reveal his true identity. He doesn't out the murderous tenants either. He leaves the job of wrestling with these characters and the meaning of the parable to the crowds who lapped it up. But there was one group of listeners who got it, and they were not amused. The cats who usually got the cream, the fat cats, the people who thought they owned the place. They swaggered around town, they feasted on the finest restaurants, they smiled and nodded with fake humility when people scampered out of their way in the street. Yes, the religious leaders knew they were the villains of this morality tale. One day, I heard the voice of God, and not in a good way. It was that gentle but firm voice of correction you sometimes adopt when you own a cat. Because sometimes your cat insists on being a jerk just because it's Wednesday and he owns the place and why does he need a reason? And you are forced to remind him that his behaviour is not charming, does not make him look cute and you actually own the place. I forget whom I was talking to and what I was talking about but I committed the sin of cats and clergy everywhere I uttered the terrible words my church because clergy are the most feline of humans we think we own the place and God leaned towards me and said wait, wait, wait whose church? This was not cool for cats. And since then I've endeavoured to avoid saying my church, my parish, my people. Instead I try to say the church I serve, the parish I love, the people I'm privileged to pastor. And if you ever catch me saying my church, please correct me. The problem with cats is they think they own the place. The problem with clergy is they think they own the place. The problem with teachers and bankers and scientists and architects and homemakers and computer geeks and shop workers and lawyers and students and retired people and children and government employees and musicians and people who work in the pharmaceuticals industry and office managers and writers and doctors and nurses and people who can't work because they're sick or disabled and caregivers and insurance people and soldiers and law enforcement officers and groundskeepers and gardeners and building managers and sales staff and engineers have I left anyone out, this is an equal opportunities sermon, is we can all think that we own the place. In the words of the old Disney movie, everybody wants to be a cat. In the vineyard of this world, we humans are called to manage, not control, care for, not exploit, steward, not own. The owner of our vineyard is invisible. We can't even see him. Maybe we think to ourselves he doesn't exist. It's we who are the true owners. We are the ones out in the heat of the day, working hard, tending the ground, planting the vines, growing the grapes, picking the fruit. What's the owner doing? He isn't even helping us. If it were not for us, the owner wouldn't even have a vineyard. He'd have a wilderness, a field of rocks and weeds. It's we who are the hard workers, the smart investors, the wealth creators. How dare he send his rent collectors and demand our hard earned produce? Acting like we own the place. My house, my car. My salary, my family, my 401k, my evenings, my Sunday. I have a theory. It's a theory of happiness. If I'm right, then if we were to practice my theory, we would be purring. All nine of our lives would be spent in blissful contentment. We won't be cats on a hot tin roof of agitation. We won't be killed by curiosity, trying to gain things that are out of our reach. Here's my theory. If God truly owns everything and we own nothing, then we need not worry about our material needs. If God owns everything and we own nothing, then we need not fear a crash in the markets or an economic meltdown. If God owns everything and we own nothing, then we need not get bent out of shape by how much tax we pay. If it's not our money, why react like it is? If God owns everything and we own nothing, then we will become joyful givers. We will be like tables on which God can place his stuff for a time and remove it at others. We won't grasp and grab and hoard and lust and steal and cheat. If God owns everything and we own nothing, then we need not look at our pledge card like it is God's 1040. Church tax, seen through the lens of scarcity with the pain of resentment. If God owns everything and we own nothing, then we need not become bogged down in complex mathematical questions like is 5% God's and 95% mine, or is 10% God's, or 90% mine, or what? If God owns everything and we own nothing, then we are free from worry, greed, fear, Envy and all those other things that rob us of our peace, deprive us of our joy, steal from us our sleep, and defraud us of quiet contentment in the love of God. Now, I know what's about to happen. Uh, One of you is going to take out your phone and download the podcast of my sermon from last week, you know, the one on hypocrisy, and play it... And ask me how my theory of happiness is working for me. And I will look at my feet and shuffle nervously like the cat who has been found ripping up your curtains. And I'll confess there's a reason I call it a theory. You see, I haven't tested it yet. I'm scared. I'm the kitten stuck up a tree I think I might be able to jump and land safely, but I'm not sure, and I'm too timid to try. What if there's no one to catch me? What if the owner of the vineyard doesn't actually own everything after all? What if it really is everyone for themselves, and I'd better worry and fear and envy and grab whatever I can and cling on to it for grim death? So I'm not living my theory. And I'm too scared to try it. But maybe, with the help of our landowner, our good landowner, our giving landowner, our landowner who respects his land and loves his people, I can take kitten steps. Will you join me? Dare we, this autumn, this season of fruitfulness, make a small change in the way we see the world, the way we view God's stuff? A bit less of my ownership and a bit more of his. Amen.